Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Snappers. Today's story comes to us from Ray Christian. Now, you've heard his stories on Snap. The one about jumping from an airplane in the military on acid. Or maybe our gratitude special about sausage and grits. Before Ray was Staff Sergeant Christian, he was just a kid living in a tough area of Richmond, Virginia in the 1970s. Now, sensitive listeners should know this story does contain graphic violence. Snap Judgment. At our house, probably one of our favorite days of the week, and we didn't do much in common as a family. But on Saturday afternoons, my mama and my sister and I, we would look at wrestling on TV. It was like probably our biggest family event of the week. Our little 12-inch black and white television, we'd be almost in the screen. Our favorite wrestler at the time was Ric Flair. And the way he would stand up and go, woo, it used to just drive my mama crazy. We would just scream and holler, and I'd love to show my mama and my sister all my little wrestling moves. Wrestling was everything then. One day, after watching wrestling, me and my friend Jasper decided we'd go up to the park and burn off some energy and have some fun. Me and Jasper are walking up to the top of the hill to the flat spot. And as soon as we got over the top, we could see a couple of black guys. This in of itself wouldn't be unusual except for the fact they were so well-dressed. They were wearing leather jackets, nice shirts, bell-bottom pants, gold chains, sunglasses, smoking cigarettes, looking really cool. As soon as we noticed the guys, we also noticed a bunch of other kids there, too. There were probably about maybe 12 kids and all kind of mingling around and they had this boxing bag, this punching bag tied between two trees and there's a guy, he's yelling and screaming at a group of the neighborhood kids, maybe about 15 guys standing around and they're punching the bag and he's screaming, punch it, come on, hit it, hit that bag, damn it. The guy in charge, he's kind of skinny, he's dark, he has scars on his face and he's got a gold tooth and he's wearing some small gold rim glasses. He's got a big fro and he's intense. And he keeps screaming things like, come on, punch that bag, hit it, damn it. Come on, goddammit, be a man, hit the bag, punch it. One of the boys who was at the park watching was Dirty Red. Dirty Red is a light-skinned guy with a big, light brown afro. He's kind of skinny and tall. He's about 13 years old. And I saw him fight a lot in the neighborhood. I mean, he was fearless. Even the boys who were older than Dirty Red didn't mess with him. The guy points to Dirty Red. 
and he jumps in he jumps in the center right away. And there's a kid standing there, and he said, uh, "You look good punching that bag. You ever tried that against a real person?" And the kid stood up, and Dirty Red punched him in the nose real hard, and the boy fell over and started screaming, "My nose, my nose!" And blood immediately squirted out of it. And the man said, "Yeah, good job, good job." And the boy got up, started running off. And a couple of the guys started screaming at him, You little bitch, you little coward, how you gonna be a man? And with that, probably half the boys, maybe seven, all started to walk away at the same time as they were screaming at him. Keep going, go ahead, go, leave. So the guy in charge with the gold tooth, he looks at me and he says, Hey, you wanna take a try? And I told him, I, I'm not good at boxing. He said, you ain't gotta be able to box to be able to fight. Come on out here. And then he points me to another kid we call Blue. Now, Blue was probably somewhere between 12 to 14 years old. He was really, really dark-skinned, and that's why we called him Blue. So me and Blue look at each other, and then it's on. And Blue was really, really strong. As soon as we made contact, he gave me a couple of punches, and I was in the fight of my life because he was really, really strong and powerful, and he could wrestle too. And we went on for probably 15 minutes to complete exhaustion. So we couldn't even pick our arms up anymore. And the man said, yeah, as you guys are good. You're a couple of badasses, you know. You could probably have a chance to make some money. And we couldn't really take that in right then because we were just happy and wanting to do something thinking it was fun. Until he said, you know, we can meet back again here at the park maybe in a week or so. Come pick you up. We're going to take you somewhere, get you $5 and two Coca-Colas. How that sound to you? I said, man, that sounds good. Now, the last kid I didn't mention besides me, Dirty Red and Blue was a kid named Crazy Kevin. He was the kind of kid that when we were in middle school, he bit a teacher till she bled. He'd fight children. He'd fight adults. He'd fight animals, especially dogs. I remember they spent a long period of time trying to explain to him what was happening, and then finally they said, like, the hell with it. His crazy ass will work anyway. It don't matter. So I was worried about who in my mind, which of the group of us I would have to fight. I did have the idea in my head that it would be other kids I wouldn't know, plus these kids I did know. Or maybe there was a chance that we might be fighting as a team of something. When the guys told us that we were going to meet in a week, they did kind of let us know that you don't need to tell a lot of people about it. In fact, don't tell anybody about it. But we were still kids. I mentioned it to uh, Jasper. Jasper was trying to tell me, don't do it. It didn't feel right. It didn't look right. It felt funny. Who's going to pay you to fight anyway? Did you ask him that? And I told him, the man said, lots of people want to see that, you know. People go to see kung fu movies, don't they? And he was going, I don't know, man. I don't, it just, I don't know who would do that. I said, man, you just scared probably yourself. We kind of separated after that during the week. I thought about telling my mama exactly what I was going to do. And I wasn't the kind of kid who could lie to my mama like that. But for some reason, as preposterous as, as it even sounded, that I would be going across town to see my sister. She said, okay. Okay. The day comes, I walk up to the park, and I'm kind of dancing around, flexing my muscles, doing the things that I think fighters would do prior to a fight. Dirty Red is already there. Blue shows up. Crazy Kevin is really late. 
and the guy's getting kind of pissed off because we're already in the car. Nice big old deuce and a quarter, roomy, leather seats in the back. They were so smooth, they were almost slippery. None of our, our family's parents had a car anyway. We weren't really used to being in cars and it smelled nice. It felt like style. Now he said to us it was gonna be a club, but the place that he, we were driving in, I recognized it immediately as one of the uh, rundown industrial parts of the city. It doesn't look like the kind of place where people would be clubbing. But we stop in front of this one building, and there's about 30 or more cars outside. And we watch groups of people get out of cars, pull up, go inside. There were women dressed up. People were drinking beer outside, smoking outside, and people were going in. The guys get out of the car and they tell us, you stay right here, don't you leave. But here, here's your first Coke. And they give us the Cokes and the bottles, and they were cold, and they burned out throats when we were drinking them fast because we weren't used to drinking sodas, and it was so refreshing, and we were really pumped up then. It's now starting to become dark outside, and it feels exciting. Flashes of different lights, uh, women's lipsticks look, looks redder than red, everybody looks fancy, you could smell cologne, aftershave, and perfume. So the guy comes out, and he tells us, come on, get out. And as we're standing at the door before we go in, the guy opens the door, and he kind of pushes us in. We don't have a chance to walk in. We were perfectly willing to run in if we had to. We were so excited. But he's pushing us, and that in itself is odd. And as soon as we get inside, there must be 100 people in there. All adults making a lot of noise, screaming, just having a good time. We look to our left. We noticed the whole crowd, there's a crowd in there, but to the left there were about eight guys. They are big and they are strong and muscular. They were taking sips of beer. We are four little hairless chest, little brown boys. None of us are wearing real athletic shorts, old dungarees, dirty t-shirts, still had grass stains in them. And we look behind us to say, who are the guys that they're gonna fight? And I'm sure that's what Dirty Red thought because he was dancing around and holding his hands up and he didn't look as afraid when the man said something to him and whispered in his ear and pushed him in the center. Red ran right out there and started dancing right around. One of the muscular guys standing there in the group of about eight, he's about six foot tall, maybe 200 pounds. You could see his body sweating and his muscles flexing. He takes a sip of beer and wipes his mouth. He got a crazy grin on his face and he walks out to meet Dirty Red in the center. The guy picks him up and throws him through the crowd and his body slapped the wall and slid down. And he never picked up his hands again. He tried picking him up by his pants so he could punch him in his face, but Dirty Red was just limp. He dropped him back down and the crowd started screaming, stump, 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 stump. And with the encouragement of the crowd, 
He stomped on Dirty Red four or five times. And some other guy came up and grabbed him by his britches and dragged him to the door and dropped him. As soon as I saw that, me and the other two boys immediately were trying to say, no, we want to go home now. I want to go. We want to go. But nobody could hear us. And we were saying it really loud because it was so loud. And then it was my turn. And the man looks at me and he said, come on. And I don't move. And he's pushing me and my feet are sliding through the trash and bits of concrete on the floor and pieces of broken glass. And I'm going, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I want to go home. And he said, go, go. And he pushes me. And I look at the guy. And he's smiling and he, he gives me this kind of old shucks look on his face like it's going to be all right. And he walks up to me nice and slowly, and he punches me in the stomach as hard as I have ever been hit. For a moment, I couldn't remember how to breathe. And I dropped right to the floor, and I was trembling. He kicked me in the face a couple of times, just flashes of light. I was so close to the floor, I could see people jumping up and down, as beat up as I was reached out my hand and I tried to wipe the pieces of broken glass away because <laughs> I didn't want to have my face cut anymore. And I felt a huge stomp to my back. And then I just faded to black. I don't know what happened to Crazy Kevin and I don't know what happened to uh, Blue. But when I got to a point where I could regain some consciousness, we were all outside on the ground. And the man was grabbing on us and slapping us, saying, get up, get in the car. All of us were moaning. The man yelled at us to shut up. I heard somebody in the pack say, my teeth are gone. The man said, shut the hell up. Here's your Coke. He was trying to hand us the Cokes in the back. We could hardly reach for him. I put the Coke bottle to my mouth and it just burned my busted lip. I couldn't drink it. I was spilling Coke on the back of the car and he yelled at me for that. The hell you think you're doing? A couple of the other boys cried too. And at some point, crazy Kevin stopped making sounds altogether. That ride back to Churchill seemed like it took forever. Every pebble on the street, every stop, every pause hurt. They dropped us off at the park. We got our five dollars too. And I can remember all of us laid down in the grass after they drove off. And it probably took 20 minutes for each of us one at a time, started to get up and head home. I was the last one. It was only about three blocks, but it took me maybe an hour. I laid on the front porch and I cried for about a half an hour. Every sniffle hurt. The snot and the blood in my nose were all mixed together and I had a big clump, bloody clot that I blew out. I beat on the door for a little while and mama came to the door and 
So what happened to you? I said, I, I fell down. She said, you're lying. Let's get you in the house. And as soon as she touched me, it just, it should have hurt really bad, but it was something about my mama touching me that made me feel uh, safe. She wiped me and she put cold rags on me. I didn't go to school for three or four days. It was weeks before I ever went back to the park again. But yeah, I saw him again. It was the same setup. The rope, the punching bag, the guys looking cool. Different group of kids, different faces, but the same little general attitudes. Come on, punch this thing. You can do it. Come on, come on. You're a punk. Are you scared? As soon as I see the kids in the park punching the bag, my body gets all tense and the hair on the back of my head rises up and I'm thinking I want to run. I want to run and I want to tell them to run too. Run, get the hell out of here right now. You don't have no idea. There's no club. There's no fighting contest. I want to say that. But I don't say that. We don't say that when I was growing up. Your parents got to say that. And I do turn around and I'm walking fast. You would think that they were chasing me out of the park when they probably never noticed me at all. They never paid any attention to me. They weren't watching me. They didn't even see me there. That was years ago. I was that afraid. No, I wasn't going to tell. My family was too small. They weren't vicious enough. They weren't criminal enough to form some vigilante party and go to the other side of town and find this guy and kill him and beat him. We were like at the bottom of the food chain. There were probably black middle class people that never had to experience that. But even in our community, people like me, a family where my folks were the poorest of the poor and the least educated among uneducated and poor people, nobody cared about us. We were low priority. Uh, call the police? Never. They weren't there for us. They didn't take care of things like that, and we all knew that. That was just asking for trouble. It never even occurred to us to even do anything like that. So I'm about 25 years old. I'm a staff sergeant in the Army assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division, and we've been deployed to Panama to do some jungle operations training. My unit is bivouac near this small village in Panama, and as usual, the guys were in the habit of collecting their candy. The local kids liked it, and every MRE, every meal that we ate in the field, all of our rations had some type of chocolate. So the guys started gathering the candy together, and the local kids were walking around. And initially, they started giving kids candy, and then more kids started to come, and they started throwing candy, and the kids started running around chasing each other for it, and the kids started pushing each other. And the guys started throwing candy out in such a way that the kids had to compete and fight for it. And then the guys started yelling and screaming and encouraging the kids. And the kids started fighting and wrestling. And I just went off. 
And I just went off and I went, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. No, don't, don't throw the damn candy at the kids. Don't make the kids fight for the candy. You give them kids that candy. And the guys were like, okay, Sarge. Okay. Hey, kids, you can have the candy. What's wrong with Sergeant Christian? Nah, man, he don't have no sense of humor. No, I don't have any sense of humor when it comes to that. And I don't now. Thank you, Ray Christian. Now, there are those of you who may not know that Ray did just receive his doctorate. So now he is Dr. Ray Christian. You can even say, thank you, Dr. Ray Christian. I like the sound of that. You can hear more of Ray on this podcast, What's Ray Saying? Subscribe to it right now. You got the chance. You can also see Ray at Snap Judgment Live. He tears up the stage. We're going to have a link to all that is Ray and more at snapjudgment.org. The original score for that story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Mark Ristich. Now, if you dig Snap Storytelling, please know there is plenty more where this came from, including the Iron Curtain episode where we break out of East Germany in a convertible with the girlfriend ducking in the back seat, iTunes, Stitcher. Since you've got this podcast, you already know how it works. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram to let somebody know and see what everyone looks like. Snapjudgment.org. And even though this is not the news, no way this is the news. In fact, you could tell Ray to his face that whatever happens in Fight Club stays in Fight Club. And you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. This is WNYC.